Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Eredix, and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And here this morning with me is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Hi, Terry. Oh, hold on just a second. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> she is on location this morning and busy, um, I'm assuming, talking to her son because she is... Uh, with her son this morning at his college, and there she is. <laughs> That's right. He just back came again. He went into his, his math lab now. So, yes, I'm back. Sorry about that. Um, no problem. I am Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that we're not taking phone calls, and I am not doing the chat room either because I am not in a multitasking mood this morning. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you're working at the college. I have forgot to print my script out before we came, so I'm looking at that on the screen. I, there's only so many things I could do. But um, you're here. That's the main thing. I'm here. I'm here. I did get here <laughs> on time to do this, and I do have a. Uh, seem to be capable of speech, so that's a good thing. Yeah. It's, uh, the end of the semester here at college, and uh, we're just trying to get through these last couple of weeks, and uh, so it's been it's been stressful. Stressful. <laughs> yeah. Well, we oh, talked about that last week. Well, yeah, exactly. All those things, even yeah. even in a college setting, there's stuff. There's tests, and there's uh, you know the worry about how the grades are going to go, and uh, much more mystery. It doesn't on go the away in high school because you don't get the report cards all through the year. It's just at the end of the year. It's oops. Here's how yeah, you did. yeah. So yeah, it must be uh, so much more challenging yeah. and stressful, especially if you're a parent yeah. that's involved, right? And you're yeah, that's right. You're or helping. over involved, as some might say. <laughs> and okay. many I'll be I'll be slapped with that <laughs> label as well. <laughs> as I sit here at the college, why are you here, mom? But uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, it's a it's a challenging time, and I think um, this topic is very relevant. As we were talking about before the show started, yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah, especially with the end of the year and all the stressful events that are happening, and the schedule changes, and the activities, and. You know, it's a time where you said that the cracks start to show up and the, you yeah. know, things get a little bit more difficult. So it's hard, and it's I think it's at a time of year where we let our guard down and and think that we're we're home free, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> suddenly all these problems arise. So, Not so well, much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, the topic today is perfect because we are going to be talking about ways in which schools and teachers and parents can support students with emotional and behavioral needs. And we're pleased to have Joanne Malloy with us here to discuss the topic. Joanne is a clinical assistant professor at the Institute on Disability at the University of New Hampshire and has spent many years working on projects to improve youth transition, dropout prevention, employment, and school success. Good morning, Joanne, and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Wonderful to have you, and as Terry and I were talking about, very timely, uh, this is uh, definitely a topic that interests both schools and families, and I think, you know, we're all wanting the success of our children and our students, and when we are presented, we do everything we can in the classroom, but then when we're presented with behavioral and emotional issues, that's a whole other component, so... 
this is a time when a lot of IEPs are being planned. It's a time, a good time to be talking about this because you need to be planning for it in advance and making sure everything's set up for the next school year and mm -hmm. the supports are in place. So parents, I think, don't always know what the possibilities are. And, of course, schools will often say that there are no possibilities. Yeah. So if we can give everybody a heads up here, that's excellent. Yeah. Well, let's get started then. Uh, Joanne, you use the words in a lot in your work, um, multi-tiered systems of support. And I just wanted to ask you to define that phrase for our audience who aren't familiar with that term. What does that I have mean? To say, when I hear that term, I get IEP flashbacks because that sounds like such a an educator ease <laughs> kind of term. <laughs> that would be the thing that would be in the IEP, and you would go, "I'm not sure what that is," but okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, and it actually should not be in the IEP because it's a structural, um, uh -huh. systematic approach that uh, that schools are taking across the country, and we are beginning mm -hmm. to see strong evidence that um, and uh, on the emotional and behavioral, social-emotional side, we're basically talking about positive behavioral interventions and mm -hmm. supports. Mm -hmm. um, on the education side, some people call it response to intervention. Um, oh, okay. And we're beginning to, uh, the community nationally, including folks like Mark Wiest and Lucille Eber, are beginning to look at integration of, of good, strong mental health practices. So here's the issue. Um, as you, you both know, no young person with an emotional behavioral challenge is like another. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like any child. Um, under this big umbrella of kids with emotional and behavioral disorders, we're talking about, you know, poor inner city African American youth who have been exposed to trauma and adversity mm -hmm. and have witnessed violence all their lives. And then you may be talking about, you know, a 16 or 17 year old who lives in a in a very well-to-do family in a suburb, but that child has serious depression or um, bipolar disorder. You know. Mm -hmm. Uh, a diagnosable mental health disorder, and all these children are kind of lumped under one umbrella called emotional behavioral supports, which makes it difficult. Um, right. What's what's so what we're beginning to understand is um, you can't just say to the classroom teacher, "Here's the child, make it work." Um, right. The classroom teacher needs a lot of support. The classroom teacher and the administrators and all the others staff in the school need to be on the same page, and the, we need to be able to kind of stop and say, hmm, I wonder why Johnny is swearing at me every Tuesday in math class. You know, being able yeah. to yeah. to yeah. say, you know, he's not just, oh, um, a bad kid from a bad family, but what's, what's the root cause of this behavior? Um, with a multi-tiered system, uh, those, all those supports are in place. So uh, let me just yeah. give you a little analogy. It actually was adopted... Um, by the folks in PBIS, uh, Hillwalker, and some of the original developers from a public health model. Um, okay. The whole idea in public health, uh, 
that we would go to our doctor. Our doctor will screen us for certain diseases. If we show up as being at risk because of science that tells us that, you know, if we have a mother and a sister who had breast cancer, we're at higher risk, or if a man had a father and grandfather who had um, a certain type of uh, cancer, they're at higher risk. It's the mm-hmm. same sort of idea. We we use that system to screen all children to identify early who's really, based on science, at risk of having social-emotional difficulties, first of all, and being aware of that and being proactive about it um, and putting into place systems for all kids so all kids are safe, uh, all kids know what to expect, all adults know what to expect, so there are no surprises, if you will. And then there are um, various uh, more intensive levels where a child who is identified at risk or a child who has a social-emotional disorder um, is matched to interventions that we know work for those children. Yes, yes. So just like, you know, your doctor wouldn't treat, wouldn't uh, take out your pancreas because you have breast cancer, um, Mm -hmm. we don't give every kid punishment um, we really are focused on positive pro-social skill development for those children, understanding that even a 16-year-old who's who's kind of nasty to us, right, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. suffering. You know, it's not yeah. their fault. They're still developing. It doesn't mean that we tolerate and ignore the bad behavior. It means mm-hmm. that we see ourselves as teachers of pro-social positive behavior. It means mm-hmm. that we know who every kid in our school is um, it means that we police, and I'll say this uh, in a in a positive way, under the staircases, you know, in mm-hmm. the bathrooms, in the places mm-hmm. where the, some of the really bad behaviors can occur, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and putting into place those kind of proactive um, interventions. But but a multi-tiered system is not an intervention. It's a system. It's a framework. It's a way of organizing all those interventions. And I think that's such a great message that you just sent is that let's look at why the student is behaving that way. Let's look at the places Mm -hmm. where that behavior happens, and let's restructure to change and help change that behavior and help that child experience success. And that's something that having worked in inner-city schools myself for so many years, with children who uh, unfortunately came with behavioral and social and emotional issues, often I had to restructure my entire day, and uh, not that it would affect the other children per se, but just so that it would help that child. So if they needed to go out for recess five minutes after the other children, then that's what I did, or if they, mm-hmm. you know, because they had trouble getting out the door, or, you know, mm-hmm. if they had to... Um, start their lunch a couple minutes early, then that's what we did. So you just kind of have to look at all the things that are in place for everybody. And if it's not working for that child, how can you make it work and solve that problem? Well, yes, and I think what's important, too, is using um, – now, I'm a social worker, and I I am not ashamed to say I also believe in applied behavioral science Mm -hmm. so that Uh we don't inadvertently – say to a child, it's okay not to go into the lunchroom because that's such a bad place. You know, mm-hmm. we, what we have to do is say, you're going to go in the lunchroom and, you know, sit down with all the other kids and we'll make it work for you. 
mm-hmm. so that we because we still have to educate our children. So we yeah. would want to make sure we don't take them off the hook and inadvertently um, reinforce behavior that is going to eventually mm-hmm. make these chi- children um, uh, unable to function, if you will. So, because I've seen this some with schools where there are kids who have anxiety and they don't want to go into class, and so they're yes. allowed not to go into class. Well, jeepers, that's not right. Yeah. So we, yeah, <laughs> we, we have to say, yeah, you're going to class, so mm-hmm. let's work together to make it work because, you know, we are mm-hmm. supposed to educate you. So, um, yeah. Helping the child who has anxiety uh, work through it, uh, learn at the same time, um, uh, not take them off the hook, but also say you can do it. You can definitely do this, but mm-hmm. you may not. You may need additional support to do it. So it's it's a delicate dance that we have to play. Um, and the other thing I would like to say is really because it is IEP season, um, the collaboration between parent, child, and the team. Is so mm-hmm. important, and and with certain, um, we have a really good uh, science now about how to run collaborative team meetings, how mm-hmm. to help work with parents, uh, help the parents um, express their needs without feeling embarrassed or difficult about it, and we need to use those strategies as well because mm-hmm. it. it often turns into a a blame and shame game, and we want to make sure that we avoid that because parents are struggling with these kids, and they they really need some support. Um, Mm -hmm. A child's behavior can be really nasty at home, and we're not seeing it in school, you know. So we may not have a really good sense of what the parent is trying to deal with, so... And I would really like to encourage those parents that are listening to be honest with your IEP team. Very often you have uh, parents that come into IEP meetings, and as a teacher you're seeing this behavior all day, and you're explaining it to the parent, and they're saying to you, well, I don't see that at home. Right, <laughs> you know? right. So um, whether or not they're not wanting to admit uh, the challenges that they're facing at home or uh, if they're not seeing certain behaviors at home, you know, family, so please be I honest and say as a share. parent, I mean, there's, there's always behavior in both places. That's, that's absolutely mm-hmm. true. I would never go into a meeting and say, my kid behaves perfectly at home. But it's also true that there are things that occur during the school day that don't happen at mm-hmm. home. And, right. I mean, I would often get a note home saying, your kid did this, but I would be able to say, well, you had an assembly all morning. Or, yeah. you, you know, the, the routine of the day was disrupted. Or one of the other kids in the class went off and had a tantrum. And these are things that that are not happening at home. Right. But it's not always necessarily true that if a student is, you know, doing certain things at school, that they must be doing exactly the same thing at home because it's it's a different environment. Right. Um, and a lot of the so, time, this behavior is environment sensitive. So. Right. Um, exactly. Exactly. Or there'll and be another so, kid that you know. My my son always had maybe another kid in class that would set him off. That, right. That, right. Know, that's and, not something that we would see. So in a multi-tiered system, if you have a family that has significant high needs for their own family, um, you would put into place uh, intensive level services for that would um, perhaps include um, strong mental health uh, experts, you know, to help you mm-hmm. run these meetings in a way where the family and the child and the school can work together collaboratively. 
Um, and it, it means building trust so that parents can say what they really feel and what they're worried about. Um, mm-hmm. And the school can also uh, express what they're really mm-hmm. concerned about. Um, and, and so as you work up the, uh, the ladder in terms of intensity, you need a different level of expertise, and that's the mm-hmm. other thing that a multi-tiered system provides you. Now, I, I'm not saying it's perfect, but um, mm-hmm. uh, more expertise as you go up the ladder, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of need. Yeah, yeah, Joanne, you just gave us some examples there of how these multi-tiered systems support students. Can you, do you have anything more that you can share with us? And I guess also, too, who is uh, responsible for putting this into place in a school? Is it the administrators? Is it the district? How does it get started, for example? Well, we, we know now that implementation, real implementation, will only happen if the, if the majority of people uh, in the school community, which would include yeah. all the educators and 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 uh, uh, staff and administrators, agree to work together on it. Um, mm-hmm. It it can it has been implemented with an administrator coming in and saying you will do this, but it takes a lot mm-hmm. longer. So there's a yeah. certain period of time where in a school they have to learn about it and explore it and adopt it as mm-hmm. as yeah. their primary initiative. Um, because it requires the uh, special educators, the counseling staff, the support staff, the guidance, you know, the guidance staff, the cafeteria workers, the bus mm-hmm. drivers. I was going to mention you know, them. Yeah, as well as the, uh, you know, I'm amazed at how bus drivers get these kids home yes. safely sometimes if you oh. see, observe <laughs> a bus going home. So um, yeah. we need everyone on board using these positive behavior techniques um, yeah. and reinforcing the uh, positive social expectations, um, right. or it won't work. It won't work. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So usually there's a period of time where a school would do some exploration, perhaps see some presentations. In mo- in many states now there are PBIS technical assistance centers um there are a couple of na- there's an, the national technical assistance center um so people would explore in their school and then they would decide as a school community to adopt this initiative right good and terry you have some questions here for joanne as well yes i do um how have you seen a multi-tiered system of support implemented in high schools? And that's a place where oftentimes the behavior is getting to a level where they, the kids need support more than ever, but they also have a different teacher every period, and they have to move around right. the building. And right. they have maybe they're leaving for a job or something. And so there's there's seems okay. like a lot more moving parts at the high school level. Right. And um, so... Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, there also is a higher stake at a high school level. Um, if if they, a high school has a lot of kids dropping out, a lot of safety mm-hmm. issues, uh, they yeah. may actually want to adopt this system. One of the beauties yeah. of PBIS, and I think this is a misconception in some places, is that it's locally designed. Um, so the first thing that we do in any school, high school, middle, or elementary, is help the school form a leadership team. Uh, the the leadership is democratic and uh, representative. So on the leadership team would be administrators, but also some of those specialists I talked about, guidance, psych, the school psychologists, um, uh, special educators, and general educators 
education teachers as well as parents and, and students. And uh, we involve students in different ways. But that team looks at data. The other piece about um, a multi-tiered system is it's data-driven. Um, the problem in, in schools, schools are very intense communities. I don't know if you spend much time in schools, but they're, they're mm -hmm. almost closed communities in many ways. It's, mm -hmm. it's like can be like a soap opera there. It's, you know, yes. it's so intense. <laughs> and so uh -huh. you need to have data on the table because you can have people saying things like, oh, all these kids are terrible. They act out all yes. the time. But then when you look at the data, it's a very small number of kids who are acting out. Um, it's loca located at maybe a certain grade level. And what the school will begin to see is, wow, you know, 40% of our kids are skipping at least one class or more. What's what's going on there? Or, wow, you know, 50% of our kids are tardy to class, but we're not even reporting that. So they begin to see problems with their system uh, driven by data. They're able to identify their problems by data. Some schools don't have a lot of dropouts, but they have a lot of kids who are truant. Um, or they or they find out that they're not really collecting good data. Um, so so what the data does is alert the team to the fact that um, where their problems are, and they may differ by schools. Although I have to say, every high school I've been in, it's it's disrespect and skipping classes. So um, yeah. they're not that unique. Um, yeah. But but it forces people who really, in in many ways, administrators sometimes don't want to share the data because it doesn't look right. Um, they really begin to work together and say, okay, we will bravely look at this data and we will not shy away from it. And they begin to uh, problem solve around the data. Um, and that's really important. It gets it gets you off the blame and shame uh, kind of uh, treadmill. It allows mm -hmm. you to um, kind of uh, uh, get a good perspective because sometimes it's the most vocal people in the schools who have a say in it, and a lot of people are quiet and silent, and so it allows yeah. you to get everyone's voice. And uh -huh. it allows you to design for your culture and your school um, adequate uh, interventions and solutions. Uh, so they're mm -hmm. locally designed solutions. They're not imposed on the school. Mm -hmm. um, it also allows a school to organize their interventions. Um, oftentimes high schools have a lot of good things going on. You know, they may have homework classes or uh, st uh, homework uh, after-school study groups. There may be uh, mm -hmm. vocational groups and programs. There are career guidance mm -hmm. programs, uh, all kinds of really good things going on, but students aren't properly matched to those uh, different interventions. Yeah. Right. So that I know a lot of students with emotional behavioral disorders are excluded for some, from some vocational programs because they are not meeting the eligibility criteria. So right. mm -hmm. we talk with schools about, hey, maybe we could ease up on the eligibility criteria for some yeah. of our students. So it be, they begin to see where some of the systems are failing them. Right. And then they also begin to see where they have good practices in place and where yeah. they need to build better practices. Um, yeah. So so that's how it would work in a high school. Um, I like the fact that you may have a math department head uh, on your leadership team. You may have English teachers. Uh, in one middle school I'm working on, the Latin teacher, the art teachers, they're all working together as leadership team members. Um, 
and problem solving around social emotional learning in their school. Yeah. So the other beauty of high school is you've got all these students who are get very very excited about planning celebrations mm-hmm. when they you know the school is doing well all these students who are very very interested in civic learning and and will do some work for you um mm-hmm. we have high school students who conduct surveys who do presentations uh about their peers so there's a whole workforce there that the team can tap into And at the same time, you're building leadership skills among your high school students. So in high school, um, it it can be a lot of fun. It's all how you approach it. Things like, you know, extracurricular activities and all, you know, these special programs that they have. And I think one thing that gets done often that is is good to think about not doing is is making participation in that contingent on good behavior. Right. Because, you know, these are the things that make the kid want to go to school, and that's the first thing you're going to take away when they're struggling. Right. Uh, you know, I know a, my son had a friend who had some emotional behavior problems, and, but he was on the hockey team, and he was really into being on the hockey team. But, of course, if he did bad in class, they made made him drop out of the hockey team. So then he has absolutely nothing going on at school that's right, right, that right. positive or reinforcing or interesting to him. So you have to think... You have to extend those supports over all these different things, and then you have to also make sure that there is something positive going on in school. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And I think... go there, it can't be all, you're failing, work harder. It has to be some, right. you know... Right, and, uh, you know, the one thing that always gets a good laugh among high school people is ignore... Um, uh, romantic relationships at your peril because yeah. that is what drives adolescence, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, okay, uh, yeah, girlfriends, yeah. boyfriends, and it may mm-hmm. be the reason they're coming to school as well. So um, mm-hmm. you really have to uh, use those moments uh, right. as teaching moments around respectful, uh, reciprocal relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, because that is where for a lot of uh, kids with emotional and behavioral disorders, their ability to form uh, strong reciprocal relationships does not exist. They form yeah. poor relationships. Um, and so being able, you can't ignore that element of adolescence. Um, That's a great mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Yeah. So. And look, we're, we're we're coming close to the end of our time here, and I want to make sure that I ask you this question, which is, can you name any resources for our audience if they are interested in learning more, both for educators and for parents? You know, uh, it's I think it's important for parents to know what other schools are doing and what, right. what programs have been successful so that you can walk into a meeting and say, hey, this is something that exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, the only right other head. thing I'd like to say is I actually came to this, PBIS uh, world from working with the highest need kids and mm-hmm. we um, we have a person-centered planning intervention that we've worked with in New Hampshire called Renew um, that is person-centered planning for youth with emotional behavioral disorders and team development and it's really worked for these kids so mm-hmm. first of all you could go to our um, IOD website at the University of New Hampshire and mm-hmm. uh, look at Renew Look at APEX, which is our PBIS project, and look at Who Cares About Kelsey, which is a new website uh, mm-hmm. with a film, um, a new film about a young woman who has an emotional behavioral disorder and how she made it uh, through high school. 
And then there is the National PBIS Center, pbis.org, tremendous amount of resources on that website, including resources for families. Um, and then, of course, um, the Parent Information Centers, the National Parent Networks has a lot on response to intervention and PBIS on their websites. Um, and then that, that, those portals will lead you to a lot of other information about what's working and what's not working. So, Thank you, Joanne. And I'll just quickly uh, mention that I'll put those links up on my um, website and Facebook page and Terrific. So if people didn't get that, I'll post it. Anyway, Great. sorry, <laughs> interrupt. Let's get to go. Yeah, um, what would you, um, are, are those resources that you mentioned, are those parent-friendly or are they going to be things that are going to make us, are they mostly educator-oriented? Uh, they're mostly educator-oriented, yes. Um, I think the Who Cares About Kelsey website you'd find pretty easy to navigate. We try to make all okay. of our resources easy for people with disabilities and family members to navigate. Um, mm -hmm. Why don't you go there and let me know, because if we need to make them more <laughs> parent-friendly, we will do that. So, yeah. So That's that would good. be good feedback from you. Okay. Well, that's our school bell that says that we've come to the end of our time. Uh, really an interesting topic today and, and something we could, as with everything we do, always we could talk more about it. But I want to thank you very much, Joanne, for being our guest today, and I would like to thank our listeners for tuning into our program this morning. Please join us for ne next week's show and listen to Carol Castellano from the National Association for the Blind to talk about including students with visual impairments in the classroom. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at Mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. And finally, as always, you can download our past podcasts for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Uh, goodbye, everybody, and have a great week. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.